Over the recent holiday, I had the opportunity to uh, travel to visit some family. And I realized that sometimes during those seasons, visiting family can seem more obligation rather than celebration, right? You hear things like, it's Christmas, that's why we have to visit your weird uncle so-and-so. You know, that's the case. Well, um, my wife and I and uh, my girls, we went to visit her sister and, and uh, husband and my niece and nephew. Uh, they're an Air Force family, and they just happened to be stationed in Hawaii. <laughs> so the gracious couple that we are, we took one for the team and said, all right, we will suffer. We'll, so they're, they're not alone during the holidays. We'll go. And so we went, and they're stationed uh, at an Air Force base right there on Pearl Harbor. And uh, we have a picture of it here. Um, mm. Yeah, I know. You feel it, don't you? The beach. Every day that we were there, we went to the beach. And I love kind of the process of going to the beach is, is you kind of go and, and you set up your chairs um, and you kind of stake out your territory. That's the first thing you do. You want to get all your gear out, everything that comes, and you, and you spread out a little wider than you need because you don't want everybody crowding in around you so much. And you put stuff out like that and then you create home base, right? This is home base. All of the activities of the day will, will start from home base here. And now, if you're at an Oregon beach, <laughs> you say things like, uh, remember, keep your jacket on, uh, or please pass the hot chocolate. Uh, and if somebody actually goes in the water, you, you say, wow, that's an interesting shade of blue, <laughs> right? But in Hawaii, they have crazy things like sunshine and warmth and warm water, and you can actually get in without a wetsuit. It's amazing. Uh, and so that's what we did. Every day we went and we played in the water and had a great time. And, and one of the afternoons that we were there, uh, we decided as a family to, to do some paddle boarding. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what paddle boarding is, uh, it's basically standing on a surfboard and you have a long paddle. That's my oldest daughter there. And uh, you stand there and uh, you just go after it. And, and really good people can actually ride the waves. And um, sometimes they even go island to island on these things. Um, really good wouldn't be the two words I would use to associate my paddleboarding with the rest of the world. But we decided to go. So my girls were out a little bit. And then my wife and I decided that we would head out uh, on the paddle boards. Uh, and we had just watched these two kind of manly men, Air Force men, rent some paddle boards and go out. And one of them just couldn't do it and, and is getting pushed out and, and just basically fell off and was hanging on and the harbor patrol boat had to come out and rescue this guy and drag him in. But we were not to be deterred. Uh, we decided we can do this. So we get out and, and we're going and we're practicing and as, as we're going along, Air Force One was on base because the president was on vacation. And so they started scrambling in these jets to clear the airspace. So this is a picture I took. That's uh, an F-22. Mm. And they are just powerful planes. Like when they take off that close, it just rattles. You can feel it in your chest and you can, the water just kind of rumbles. So four of them went off and I just got caught. I don't know, there's something about jets. I was just like, <laughs> totally, like literally, I'm saluting. They can't see me. I'm saluting them. And, and in my head, I'm, the Top Gun theme is going. So I'm like, dun, 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 right? And, and I'm just totally stuck watching these things. So after four of them just go and straight up in the air and disappear, uh, I decide to get back to the business of paddleboarding. But as I look up, 
I don't recognize anything. That as I'm watching these, the currents have just pushed me way away from home base. And, and not just me, my, my wife is way farther out than I am. And part of me is feeling less of a man because she's out that far. Like she's like rough and tough out there doing it. And I'm like pretty close to shore. Uh, so I felt a little bit less of a man, but uh, I started just pushing and, and fighting against this and paddling back, and it was hard, and it took like half an hour, and finally, I get back to home base, back to shore, and I'm whoo, pull the board up, and up runs my youngest daughter, and she says, Dad, Dad, Mom's in trouble. She needs your help out there, and I was like, no, no. She's fine. She's fine. And she's like, no, you need to get the boat out there. And I honestly, I said this, your mother does not want me to embarrass her by getting that boat out there to rescue her, right? And she's like, dad. And I'm like, hmm. And, and so she goes away. And when she leaves, my older daughter comes up to me and she goes, dad, mom's in trouble. And I'm like, no, she's not. She's fine. She's intrepid. She's on her hands and knees. Uh, but she's great. She's, your mom's tough. She can do this thing. So don't judge me. <laughs> she, she was out there doing her thing, so I got busy doing my thing. And about a half an hour later, she gets up to shore, and she's like, oh, I don't think I had one more paddle left in me. Oh, man, I was in trouble out there. And I was like, Really? Oh, I didn't know. She goes, you didn't see me waving my paddle? <laughs> oh, no, no, I didn't see you waving your paddle. And just as I get that out, up comes my daughter's. Mom, we told him, we told him you're in trouble. We said that you should get something. We should. And I was like, how about we bury you in the sand? <laughs> there are currents going on in our world, right? And sometimes they're slow. And, and they're methodical, but they're, they're relentless. And they keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and they're strong. And even though they might be imperceptible, they are there. Currents are pushing us, and the reality is all of us have the potential to drift away from home base. All of us have the potential to be pushed away by the currents of this world away from the truth that we know. And we're continuing in our series in Hebrews called Stay With Jesus. And we're going to talk about what it means to drift. And for the past few weeks, uh, Steve's been talking to us about the background of this book and about the supremacy of Christ, how he's not just greater by degree, he's greater in kind. And how he's greater than the angels. And that was a struggle that the people had. And they were beginning to want to worship angels. And, and the author of Hebrews is like, no, no, it's all about Jesus. And so we've been given this in, in Hebrews. And if you want to grab your Bible and open there, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 2. And if you want to just grab one out of the pew there, it's on page 1907. And there's two things that we're going to talk about in this passage. We're going to talk about accountability, and we're going to talk about authority. We're going to talk about accountability, kind of what our part is in this whole process. And then we're going to talk about authority, like who is the authority? We're going to look to Jesus, obviously, as the authority. So Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. 
For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm. And we kind of talked about that last week. There are certain messages delivered through angels. Angels, in a lot of ways, are like the prophets. They're agents of revelation for God. And so you can look in Acts chapter 7. Stephen's kind of walking through the history of the Jewish people. And he says, an an angel appeared to Moses and, and gave him some of the law. And you can look at the birth of Christ and see that angels were a part of that revelation. Angels have come and and delivered. So they have a part of that, but they're just agents of this revelation. And it says that that the message delivered through the angels has always stood firm. And every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God continues, or and God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever He chose. So the author's saying, yeah, the angels were part of delivering the law, and, and there's punishment when you go against that. But how much more do we need to pay attention to the message that was delivered by the Son of God? The message that was delivered by Jesus, that was spread through the apostles, that was confirmed through the Holy Spirit in miracles and signs and wonders and gifts, how much more then do we need to pay attention? So that's why he says there, we must listen very carefully. We must diligently observe. We must pay careful attention or we could drift. And the word drift in this passage is painting a couple different word pictures. It could, it could mean a ship that drifts past a safe harbor, and you can kind of have that image in your mind of just a ship that's just going on by. It can also speak to this image of a a container that would hold some type of liquid, but it had cracks in it, so slowly, just over time, the liquid would leak out of it. And that's a great picture, just that over time, just everything, the contents just leak out of it. And so we pay very careful attention because there are currents that want to take us away from home base, that want to push us away from the truth. What are some of those currents that we fight? One is disillusionment. You know, the author of this book is writing to these people who were suffering persecution. And, and oftentimes, persecution can push you away from the truth. And, and we know sometimes when hardships come, we want to lean in. But sometimes when hardships come, we, we want to lean out because we're disillusioned, because we say, it doesn't look like it should look like. This picture that I had in my mind of how things were going to go, that's not the reality that I'm living. I accepted this truth, I heard about Jesus, and I said, yeah, that's the truth, and the reality that I'm living isn't what I pictured it would be. I didn't think that I would still be sick. I didn't think that my work would be so hard. I didn't think that my family would struggle so much. And we get disillusioned with, with what we think it should look like. And we hear all kinds of crazy stories about how bad the world is. I mean, you just have to turn the news on to figure out, man, I, I should just be hiding in my closet under a blanket. It's bad out there. You know, they're like, so-and-so's in big danger. You could be next. Okay. Or maybe we even hear stories of good things that, that happen to people that doesn't match our reality. You know, we hear stories about somebody who 
trusted Christ and they got the new job or their marriage got better, they got healed, their dog came home that ran away. You know, just all these stories where we don't, oh, that's not my story. And so we're disillusioned with what the truth is and it causes us to drift away. I think one of the currents is uh, just flat out laziness. Right? That it's really hard to stay close to home base. You know, part of drifting is, is, is that it is, it's passive. It's not the act of committing anything. It's this passive neglect of just kind of what we know is true. It's, it's I'm not paying attention. I'm not planting any seeds, so I have nothing to harvest. I'm not serving. I'm not using gifts or talents. I'm just, it's just hard to do that, and so I'm just going to drift with where the current takes me. Another one of the strong currents, I think, in our society is this... Um, I'm my own man kind of thinking. I can do it myself. It's that poem Invictus that says, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. I will make the decisions for me. I know where home base really is in my life. And so I'll make these decisions, whether they be you know, practical decisions or whether they be spiritual decisions, I, I make those decisions. Boy, you get caught in that current, you get pushed away from the truth. I think probably the the riptide of our generation right now. The, the strongest current that's pushing us away, I think, is this idea of happiness. I think it's this idea that we've been placed here on this earth to be happy, and so that's what we should be pursuing. And so I will pursue accumulating things, and I will pursue acceptance, and I will pursue adventure because I've been put here to be happy. And so to be happy, I need more stuff. I, I mean, I am tired of playing Angry Birds at this retinal display. It needs to be better. I need a new iPad. I need the new house. I need the car. I need, I need this stuff. I need these clothes. I'm supposed to be happy. I, I need other people to pat me on the back and tell me how good I am. And when you get caught up in this idea that we were placed here to be happy, that's a huge current that causes us to focus on ourselves, and the more that we focus on ourselves, the more that we drift away from the truth. I was reading this past week about Gen X, a generation that I am a part of, and one of the hallmarks of Generation X is drifting. It's a generation that stays connected to things as long as those things serve them, and once those things are done serving them, I'll just bounce somewhere else. The quote about the generation said this, listen, the trouble with our age is that it is all signpost and no destination. All signpost and no destination, which means we just kind of cruise chaotically from thing to thing, kind of even unaware of the currents that are pushing us there. And the signposts are saying, try this, try this, do this, do that, keep going here, but with no understanding that there is a destination, that there is a place that we are headed to. And, and instead of asking, even in a church setting, you know, what do I owe God? How can I serve him? What's my role in God's greater plan, not his role in my great plan? You know, we can view the church and, and, and this community and this whole setting is, okay, this exists so that I can keep my stuff together. And as long as I can keep my stuff together and as long as this place is telling me things that I want to hear, I'm in. But when this place doesn't serve me as well as it should, I will bounce to the next thing. 
I'll just move on. I'll just, I'll just drift. And see, all of these currents that are pushing us away from home base, obviously, they're doing damage in our lives. You see, they're, they're causing us to lose sight of the truth. We get to that point where we look up and we're like, I don't recognize any of this. They're causing us to live at the edge of community. You know, we used to be maybe firmly entrenched in a, in a godly community, but oh, that just wasn't working for me. And so I just kind of live at the edge of a, of a bunch of kind of different communities, and I can kind of go in and out when it suits me. It causes us to remove the voices in our lives that speak truth to us. Like if people are speaking things that you don't necessarily want to hear, then you don't have to listen to them. And these currents cause us to lose sight of spiritual things that we should be doing, like reading God's word and spending time in prayer and serving and, and memorizing and giving. And you know what? Even one of the huge dangers of this, and, and hear this, one of the huge dangers of drifting is that our behavior will change our beliefs. I want you to hear that. Our behavior will change our beliefs. So you usually don't just say, oh, I do not believe this anymore. I'm going to act this way. It's usually this drift, this slow, subtle, relentless progression where the things that you are doing are going to change what you believe. It's called the deceitfulness of sin. It's in Hebrews chapter 3. Lance Armstrong has been in the news this past week, right? For some reason, Lance Armstrong decided that now was the time to come out and to admit that for the past 15 plus years, he's been lying and cheating and bullying people, right? Now, when Lance Armstrong started cycling, it was not his goal to cheat. He didn't start cycling and be like, I am going to be the world's greatest cheating cyclist, I am going to inject my body with so many steroids and hormones and additives and preservatives. I don't know what he's doing there. I'll live forever. I'll be embalmed forever. You know, he didn't start his cycling career that way. He wasn't like, I am, oh man, world-class cheater. That's me. When he started his cycling career, he said, I want to be the world's greatest cyclist. But when he started, he he got connected to something that he tried once. And he was like, wow, that really helped me out. And wow, nobody else noticed. And so he tried it again. And then he did a little bit more. And then he did a little bit more. And then he became the ringleader of other people doing this. But his behavior then changed what he believed. Listen to this interview. In this interview, he was asked this. At the time, did it not feel wrong? No, he replied. Did you ever feel bad about it, she pressed him. No, he said. Did you feel in any way that you were cheating? No, he replied. And then he said this, I went and looked up the definition of cheat. <laughs> okay, if you have to look up the definition of cheating, you're on the wrong path, okay? <laughs> Let's just take that from the get-go. I went and looked up the definition of cheat. And the definition is to gain an advantage on a rival or foe. I didn't view it that way. I viewed it as a level playing field. 
This was, in my view, part of the job. He didn't start out believing that, but his behavior changed his belief. This is the pattern. We start here in our lives. We start here at home base, at the truth. And then we do something that breaks a command of God. And we understand that our standard is at this point and somehow different from God's standard. And we're like, oh, that, that wasn't right. There's something wrong with what I just did. Ugh. And that leads a little bit to guilt in our lives, right? We have a little bit of guilt in our lives. And then we talk ourselves into, instead of just stepping right back into the truth, we say, wow, I... I don't want to step right back in. I, I feel bad. Because guilt leads to avoidance. You know, the same way when you have a relationship and you're struggling with somebody, you just avoid them. You don't want to be with them. And so that's how we can feel about God. So this guilt leads to avoidance. But the problem with avoidance is avoidance leads to further separation away from the truth. And so we continue to make decisions in our lives that cause us little by little to drift away. And we set up this pattern. And we say things at a certain point even like, well, uh, God wouldn't even forgive me now. Or we say things like, God's mean because he has all those rules that are impossible to follow. We serve a mean God. And then we change our belief system to include our behavior. We change our belief system to include our behavior and we say dangerous things like, I don't even believe that anymore. That's not really even true in my life anymore. I don't believe those things anymore. Be very careful then to listen to the truth, to focus on the truth, or you may drift away from it. And we use all kinds of excuses. We use all kinds of excuses to kind of justify this shift in our lives. Listen to some of these. You may have said these or you may have thought these. Uh, how about this? Everybody else is doing it, right? Well, everybody else is doing it. We compare ourselves to other people. You know, you get pulled over by the policeman. You were like, everybody else was going that. Why didn't you pull over the guy that passed me? But, but the thought process is, is maybe God will look at us and somehow decide, wow, there's a whole lot of them messing up on this same part. Maybe it's not so bad. I mean, maybe the thought that God's just gonna grade us all on the curve, you know? Ah, well, I'll give them all a C. It's passing. No, how about this excuse? I've always been this way. This thought of, well, it, it just runs in my family. My father was that way. His father before him was that way. I come from a long line of people that way. It's just how I am. I've always been that way. You know, it's like saying, God, I know you created the sun and the moon and the stars, 6,000 species of beetle. And since the dawn of time, no two snowflakes have been alike. You're the most powerful force in the universe, but you can't change me. I've always been this way. How about the excuse of this? I can handle it, right? 
When we start to drift, oh, we're good, I can handle this. It's not that bad, I can handle it. The danger isn't that dangerous. And then we hurt ourselves. How about this one? One time won't hurt. As if there are no consequences for first time sins. Or nobody will know. You know, we can think, well, nobody knows. Nobody's the wiser. First of all, let me reassure you that you are never alone. That somebody is always there watching. You are never alone. And when you say something like nobody else will know, what you're really saying is that the only real consequence of sin is the hassle and embarrassment of being found out, right? When you do that and you're just like, oh, nobody will know. Sin doesn't have a real consequence. It's only if I get found out that it's bad. I work with high school students. Uh, Love it, but I hear this a lot. But I'm in love, (laughs) right? And it's not just a high school thing. But I hear it a lot from high schoolers. It's like, you know, wow, you're really going down the wrong path. But I'm in love. (laughs) Okay. You're in love. Oh. Then you don't have to obey anything, God says. Because, well, love trumps all, right? You're in love, and I'm sure it's deep and meaningful, high school love. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Those are tough ones, though. The ones that are, that are tied to emotion, those are, are tough ones to deal with. And we make all these excuses that we think allows us to drift, but the reality is we need to pay careful attention because, guys, drifting has consequences. There are consequences to drifting away from the truth. It says in, in verse 2, there are consequences for disobedience to to God, that it doesn't lead to a good place in your life, that you end up injuring yourself. You know, you don't really break the commands of God as much as you break yourselves upon them. You know, God's commands are fixed. God's commands are solid. God's commands are eternal. And the more that we think we can run into them and be okay, you know, just like if I just turned and kept running into that wall over there, thinking that I'd make some kind of difference, I'm going to hurt myself. You know, a lot of the punishment in our lives is because we keep running into these commands of God and we keep breaking ourselves. And so we need to pay very careful attention to the truth that we know. We need to pay very careful attention to home base. You know, I told you at the beginning that this passage was about accountability and that it's about authority. And the authority is that person of Jesus Christ. And I've been pointing to this side as home base, but in reality, if we pointed to the cross and we would say, fix your eyes there, that's home base. Because look who this author points us to. He points us to Jesus, who is, in verse 10, the pioneer. He's the author of our salvation. It says that that Jesus, through his suffering, was the perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. That Jesus hacked his way through the jungle so that we would have a path to follow. He's the author of our salvation. He's our pioneer. We look to him as our leader. Verse 12 says that he's our older brother. And and not the older brother that, that picks on the younger siblings. And not the older brother that hoards the stuff. We have an older brother who shares his inheritance. Verse 15 says that we have a liberator. 
He set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. 17 tells us that he's our high priest, that he deflects wrath, that he keeps us from temptation. This is who we look to. That's home base. That's where we fix our eyes. That helps us to keep from drifting. So let me ask you this question. In your life, are you drifting? In your life, is Jesus truly home base for you? Is he the focal point? Is he the center? There are some things that, that we can latch onto. There's some things that this means for us. Let me just give you a few things. One is I, I think accountability needs to be huge in our lives. I think we need to have people in our lives that ask us tough questions. And I think you need to give the green light to somebody in your world to ask you any question, any question at all. Because that's gonna help keep you from drifting. You need to keep your eyes out for people who are standing on their, waving their paddle. <laughs> you know, maybe it's time for you to stand and wave your paddle. I need help. I'm drifting. We need some accountability in our world. And we can't always just live at the edge of communities. We can't just kind of bounce back and forth. We need to be in godly community. We need to be in places where we are hearing God's truth spoken to us and over us. We need to be in settings where we are worshiping him and not ourselves. And we need to, again, fall in love with some of these spiritual disciplines, as we would call them, some of these spiritual things like reading God's word and praying and serving and giving and memorizing and all of these things that draw us closer to the heart of Jesus. He is our focal point. Our eyes are to be fixed on him. He has called us to that path. 